Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cow Hour. I'm your host, Briar. And I'm Nora. And this week we've watched The Thing from Another World, released in 1951, directed by Christian Nyby and produced by Edward Lasker and Howard Hanks. Hawks. That director credit is suspect, but uh, it's it? what's on Wikipedia. Well, that's what I went with. There is some debate that I saw online about whether or not this is the actual person who directed it. Ah, a controversy. Yeah. Uh, trying to see if I can find who the other person was. I think I remember reading about something to do with this on the Wikipedia page. There is still debate as to whether the film was directed by Howard Hawks with Christian Nyby. Is that what she said? Oh, uh, okay, res- yes. Receiving the credit so that Nyby could c- obtain his director's guild membership, or whether he directed it with considerable input in both screenplay and directing advice from producer Hawks for Hawks's Winchester Pictures, which released the film through RKO Radio Pictures, uh, etc., etc. There's, there's just some ambiguity about who actually directed it, which is just interesting. Mm-hmm. I need to call the car place back. I'm really sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. If Hawk says he doesn't do it, I I guess I'm perfect to accept that line. Deeply funny of it is just so he could have got that director's guild membership. (laughs) Just putting your name on your friend's homework. Look, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's right. Uh, did you play or watch anything interesting this week, Nora? Well, I watched two episodes of Common Writer Kiva. A show I will not get to for some time. That's the bat one, right? It's a vampire, thank you. He has bat legs, bat wings on his leg, and then they're chained up, and then they the chains break off, and the wings unfurl for him to do his big kick. That sounds pretty good. I don't know if you know this about common Riders, but a lot of them do the big kick. I've heard that about the big kick. Um, the current series I am watching, Fives, has a very good big kick. I'm watching this one because it's vampire-themed, and I like vampires. I would definitely also be watching it if I hadn't cursed myself with doing this in order. Oh, fuck that. Like a, like a fool. I'm mortal. I, I can't be doing that. I can't. I can't be into Gundam and Common Rider. That's not allowed. Yeah, I don't know where I get the strength from. I am. I'm four Common Rider series into Heisei out of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. A, a lot. There is many of them. When I say I can't be into Gundam and Common Rider, I mean Obi Wan voice, not in the amount you're asking for. Not enough to bargain with. <laughs> Uh, I have unfortunately decided that is not the case, and I'm going to go completely all in in the most annoying way to do these things. But I will have seen it all eventually. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't think I've watched anything recently. Everything I've watched has been like... Well, I watched Cursed on Netflix. (laughs) Oh, this is the the Funny Merlin show that I've seen you post. It's the Funny off. Merlin show where Merlin looks like he's like, uh, what did I say? I, he looks like somebody who has a two and a half hour long video on his YouTube channel about <laughs> Ghostbusters twenty sixteen. Oh dear. Um, I I saw them using like witching as a. Uh, gosh, I have to remember my words for are English. You, Ver- are you witching me? I'm not. Please don't make such accusations. Uh, it's it's funny. We I watched two episodes, uh, and it was interesting. It's just extremely straight. As many things are, unfortunately. It it opens with before King Arthur there was a queen, and then Arthur is just also there though. <laughs> Before and also parallel to King Arthur. Doesn't quite have right. the same. Arthur is the main character's love interest, it seems, so far. No. So it is definitely not before him, though. 
No, no. Uh, uh, yeah, that was it was interesting. Very, very, very like dumb <laughs> fantasy show. Um, you know, very much. It very much feels like oh, we saw The Witcher and we were like oh we could do that. We could do that cheaper. Very cheaper. No it. monsters. Now, ah. There are some CGI wolves that she attacks and then fights them and starts hacking at them and then the blood spatter covers the screen and that's the end of the first episode is that this red cartoony blood starts splattering on the screen such that it starts to completely cover it so that it could cut to black. Oh, that's how you know that she's gone, as they say, sicko mode. And I don't mean like... It doesn't look like it's on the lens of the camera. It looks like it's just red on the screen. Hmm. It's almost GoldenEye N64. Oh, dear. So, that was fun. Well, it sounds funner than the last thing I watched a lot of on Netflix, which was Stranger Things Season 3. Yeah, doesn't sound like a good one. It was not. But, you know what was? What was? Uh, the movie we watched this week. The thing from another world. It is. It's very good. And I will go ahead and tell people what happens in it. So, from Anchorage, a team headed up by Ketrium, Patrick Hendry, accompanied by Ned Scott, a journalist, flies out to investigate reports of a downed aircraft near a research base of the North Pole. Or the North Pole, as I've put in my notes here. I don't think that's quite correct. That's where uh, Xehanort is, right? Yeah. He doesn't show up in the movie, unfortunately. Uh, Dr. Carrington, a noble laureate, is running the station. They make it there despite some difficulty with the navigation tools and meet those running the station alongside him, including several other scientists, a radio operator, and Captain Hendry's on and off partner, Nikki, who's Dr. Carrington's secretary. Uh, Hendry meets with Dr. Carrington, who is under the impression that the crashed aircraft is actually a crashed UFO, based on some camera images of the crash and some readings that they've taken. Captain, his crew, and several of the scientists head out to investigate the crash site, which seems to be the source of the magnetic disruptions they encountered earlier. The crash site, which is an odd bottle shape caused by the aircraft sliding along the surface and melting through its path before sinking and melting a large circle, also registers on the Geiger counter they brought with them. And upon, inspect uh, upon inspection, an airfoil stabilizer sticking out of the ice seems to be of a metal that isn't of this earth. They spread out to determine the size and shape of the craft through the frozen ice, which turns out to be large and circular. It's a flying saucer! Everyone briefly celebrates, and Henry informs Scott that he can't send out a story now. This take is confidential under Air Force authority. So, 
the back and forth between Henry and his men is very fun. There's a lot of just like banter between characters in the show that I love a lot. It's very funny. Yeah, definitely. And also, the plane ride out to the site is just very cozy, and it perfectly has this ambient drone that feels like you're on an airplane or on a car trip. And it has this air of like, we've been in the same space for three hours. And nothing's really changing, but we're like trying to, you know, stretch it, stretch a little bit, keep ourselves awake, and everything. And it's just a very, it's a very cozy movie, actually. Yeah, Despite I think even, taking place like, mostly in um, like the North Pole and Anchorage or wherever. Uh, yeah, yeah, Scott even falls asleep on like the path there, and I think as soon as he gets to the research station, he's like, "Oh, you'd never know we're at the North Pole." Yeah, it's just. A very fun movie to watch, and these characters all have v- extremely good chemistry, and it's su- such believable banter, which is such a such a fucking like rarity. It's a nice, refreshing glass of water after the desert that has been most movies I've seen lately. <laughs> Especially, God help you if you've watched something like an Avengers movie. God, I mean, this is a completely different era, right? Like, this is the 50s. Mm. Um, and also, this is the scene where uh, that we saw in Halloween last time, where they're standing in a circle to shape the uh, aircraft. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten, like, which part of this we had seen. Mm-hmm. I think it was mostly that. I don't know that we saw... Any other clips from it? But this is the one that I remember. I definitely thought this was at the end of the movie. Oh, well, I'm finding the the saucer? Because I didn't know it was a flying saucer. I thought they were doing some kind of ritual. (laughs) No. It's obvious to us now that they were going to be assembling into the the shape of a flying saucer. I think... I bet that was spooky back back in the day. (laughs) Like, damn, what are they doing? That's not the shape the planes are. Also, the report that they read, maybe that's in the next plane trip they take? Yeah, it's the one back to the the station. Because that is almost word for word from a real document about people's UFO sightings in this, like, post-war period. It's really funny. But yeah, we'll get there in a second. Yeah. So, they set up a series of thermite bombs to try and melt through the ice, but this seems to cause a chain reaction that destroys the saucer outright instead. Dismayed, they instead manage to use the Gaga counter to find a body frozen in the ice. They cut it out and put it on the plane to bring back to the research station. This is where we get the conversation with them reading through this, uh, like, Air Force magazine, I think it is? Some kind of report. Yeah, um... I... I assume it's just some kind of, like, internal mm-hmm. journalism thing. And then there, there's a very funny joke, uh, because it has, like, a very long case number. And then the <laughs> co-pilot's like, oh, which one is that? And then he reads off the full name again, with the numbers and letters and everything. And he's like, oh, that one. And then <laughs> keeps a straight face for a second, and then immediately turns <laughs> to the, the captain. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. This movie's great. It's perfect. It's very charming. Um, so yeah, they take it on back. They, uh, where am I? They bring it in, still in its big old block of ice, into their storeroom. They break a window to make sure it stays nice and cold in there. Carrington and his team are pretty angry about this. They wanted to frost the alien and study it, but Henry refuses, saying that nothing will be done until they've heard from his superiors. They decide to take four-hour shifts within Henry's crew to keep an eye on the specimen, and they manage to make radio contact with General Hogarty back at Anchorage, who left orders for them to excavate the UFO safely uh, and block Scotty's newspaper story before the remaining communications were disrupted. Henry leaves a message to try and transmit to Fogarty with an update on their situation. I want to say that in your notes you did write, keep an ice on the specimen. Yep, I, I very intentionally skipped over that one. Didn't walk into uh-huh. it. Okay. Throwing myself down bear traps, but walking around them. Um, this is also where we get kind of the start of what I consider the running joke of all the communications just being late every single time. 
Yeah, and it, they're like getting the backlog, and they're like, and then he's gonna say this, and then uh huh, and now he's saying this. They're basically all just like decreeing things be done that cannot be done at this point. Yeah, they basically justify the the things that they already did that got that fucked up. Like they tell him they get back, and then he gets orders saying use thermite bombs to to you know melt the ice, and then okay, well we so now that. like. No one needs to worry about getting in trouble because we were technically ordered to do that even though we didn't get those orders until after we'd done it. It's very interesting. Yeah, I believe Scotty has a line here where he's like, oh, like, stupid from the top to the bottom. <laughs> um, so, sometime later, Barnes, Henry's radio man, comes through with an update. The story has already leaked, which is very disappointing to Scotty, and everyone wants more information, though it's still seemingly not possible for them to transmit out. Bob comes in and convinces Henry to cut their shifts from four to two hours, since McPherson, you can tell I got these names off the wiki, is starting to get unnerved by the sight of the thing through the now clearer ice. Captain Henry and Nikki enjoy some soft bondage and a couple of drinks before Henry leaves to that check in with the watch. That scene is so good! Because <laughs> I really she's, like, she's like talking to him about um, the last encounter they had and she had like left a note for him but on his chest so all the other guys in the barracks got up before him and they read the letter and he was like he's like it starts off indignant and then he realizes that he got super drunk and handsy with her and he was like ah oh, <laughs> oh, shucks the letter which if <laughs> i remember correctly was about how nice his legs are yes that's basically what the letter said was that he has nice legs um <clears throat> and then um, he's like, oh, what about starting over? And then, uh, there's someone, one of them, I think she makes the comment about tying his hands up before, uh, they spend any more time together. And then it just cuts to that scene, and he's just got his hands tied behind his back while she's, I think, uh, giving him some wine or something. I forget exactly what, some kind of drink, I think. It's in, like, a lowball glass, that's probably whiskey or something. But it was very cute. And then he has the bit where he, like, is secretly getting the rope off of his hands behind his back. And then acts all casual and, like, asks her to help him light a cigarette. And then she realizes that he's not tied up anymore. Yeah, he has, like, his hands in clear view for a good, like, few seconds before she, cl like, it clicks. Which is very cute. This is, like, just a very... Like, I said everyone has good chemistry in this movie, and they do. These two especially are just very, very cute to watch. Yeah, like, I'm surprised at enjoying the straights. It's, like, refreshing. Listen, good writing is good writing, and good acting is good acting, whether it's head or not. Damn, that's, that's the truth. So easy to forget these days. <laughs> it really is. Uh, where was I? Uh, they enjoy some stuff. Okay, Henry leaves to check in with the watch. Barnes takes over and begins his shift by covering the block of ice with a blanket, so he doesn't have to look at it anymore, but does not realize that it's an electric blanket. He sits down to read, ignorant of his mistake, as the ice block starts to melt and the huskies outside begin to bark. Very suddenly, I, I imagine some time does actually pass here, but I'm not sure it's illustrated that well. Uh, suddenly, on thought, the creature looms over Barnes, who quickly draws and shoots it several times before fleeing to the mess hall. Uh, Bond's very responsive here. <laughs> um, I, I, I wish I had people like Bond's on my team while I play video games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, he tries to explain what has happened to Captain Henry, and refreshingly everyone believes him, and nobody goes into hysterics, and they immediately investigate. Well, except for Barnes, who has to get calmed down by having one of the scientists reach over and just grab a glass of water and splash it in his face gently. I think he's allowed. I can, I can give him... <laughs> I can live him some leniency here. Uh, are they, I think um, we can give Barnes the honor of first contact here. Yes, I, he, I mean, he did it maybe slightly more aggressively than you're supposed to do first contact, I think. <laughs> um, usually, in an ideal situation, does not involve as much shooting. Um, they investigate the storeroom of Morgans, finding the empty eyes of the blanket before spotting the creature outside, attacking the dogs. They head out to confront it, but it flees, and they find a few dead dogs in its wake, as well as a dismembered forearm in the snow. 
Back inside, everyone gathers around the scientists as they study the arm, which they find reveals the creature to be plant-like in nature, with no arteries or blood. Scotty jokes that the creature is a super carrot, and the scientists give a short lecture on the intelligence of Earth's plant life. Suddenly, the arm twitches back to life, absorbing the dog blood on its palm. Scotty points out that this means the creature feeds on blood, as Hendry and his men return to the room with axes and other weapons, ready to head out and hunt down the creature. They go from room to room, surprising Radio Man Tex with sudden developments before coming to the greenhouse. They search it, but Carrington and a few scientists stay behind after the party moves on, Carrington having spotted some plants that had wilted and connected this to the back door being opened. They search a container in the room where they find another dead sled dog hidden away, its blood drained by the thing. They decide to post a secret watch in the greenhouse to try and meet the creature and communicate with it. Um, I love the little scene where they go in and just, like, confuse Tex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, that's a weird thing that I wanted to bring up, is Tex's um, response is, well, this looks like a lynching party. And it's, like, hmm. kind of unclear what the... Is, is that a joke? It was the 50s. Yeah, I just... I don't know that I have enough faith in this particular movie to think it was a criticism, so it must just be a just be a funny joke. It just stuck out to me because I was like, I'm not 100% sure how to read this. And my default answer is just it was, it was meant as a joke for white audiences. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't remember seeing anybody who isn't white in this movie. Well, you do very, very briefly. Um, the cook in the background... But like, oh, and they yes. they mention, uh, I think one of them talks about Eskimos, at one point. Um, mm. But like, certainly nobody with, uh, with any prominent screen time or a name. Well, that is as good as not really showing up. But it was just like a weird line that I was like, hmm. Uh, and, of, and then, like, I read some criticism and, like, some, like, readings of this movie around the internet very briefly, like, while I was at work, and it didn't really come up. Everyone was much more interested in talking about communism, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I'd completely forgotten about that, so thank you for remembering it. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Uh, later, Hendry and his crew return from a foray into the snow, and Tex brings a message from... Is it Fogarty or Hogarty? Because I've done both in these notes. Fogarty. It's Fogarty. Okay. See, I, I actually watched this one legally on uh, YouTube.com. I rented it, so... Ah. I got the official subs. I watched it for free on the archive.org. Ooh. Uh, where it just lives. Forever, I hope. Uh, so, Tex has a message from Fogarty asking them to keep the UFO safe and intact, among other things. But nothing for Scott. As they talk, an injured scientist stumbles in and warns them at the greenhouse. The scientist explains the thing came into it and attacked the scientists, leaving two hanging upside down from the ceiling beams. The throats cut. They head out to confront the creature, splitting up to block the back door and prevent its escape. But the creature is directly behind the front door, its arm regrown and they quickly barricade it after shooting through the door a few times. Which I would imagine weakens its structural integrity, but whatever. It's corrugated um, steel or whatever. Yeah, it'll be fine. I'm, I'm sure this creature doesn't break out at any point. Uh, after finding out about his secret watch, Hendry confines Carrington to his quarters in the mess. They once again set up guard on shifts to watch the hallway. Afterwards, in his room, Carrington reveals to the other scientists that he has taken seed pods from the severed arm, and supplied them with blood from the station's stores. This has caused them to sprout and very quickly begin to grow. The plants seem to be breathing, and even seem to wail when a stethoscope is held to them. Nikki leaves to type up Carrington's notes, and ends up showing them to Henry after he comes to ask about the blood plasma being missing from the station's stores, after they had to give transfusions to the injured scientist instead. Henry immediately goes to confront Carrington, instructing his men to burn the sprouting creatures, 
and Tex passes along some new orders from Fogarty to protect the thing and keep it intact. With the storm picking up, they decide to drop the outside guard, though Tex decides to stay out in his position as it seems fairly safe. Nikki suggests that they use heat to hurt the creature, and they hatch a plan to douse the thing in kerosene and set it alight. As the Geiger signals the thing's approach, they put the plan into action quickly and ambush it when it appears. Set aflame, the creature struggles and smashes through the room before fleeing back out into the snow through a window. They quickly manage to put out the fires and set up patching up those injured in the fight, including Barnes, who fell over a bed and broke his arm. Good job, Barnes. Uh, they decide to set up intercoms through the corridors to make sure that people can communicate quickly. The station's engineer explains a plan to set up an electrical trap in the hall to fry the creature using the station's generator. At this point, Nikki realizes the station is getting colder, and they all realize that the thing has damaged the oil line that fuels the heating, the temperature, and quickly begins to fall. With most of the staff holding up in the generator room for safety, Henry and Co. set up their electric flytrap using metal wire fencing. Carrington tries to convince Henry to follow his orders not to harm the creature, but they confine him back to the generator room as the creature begins to approach. They get ready to lure the creature in to stop him noticing the trap, just as the power shuts off. Carrington has pulled a gun inside the generator room, turn the electricity off. They manage to disarm him and turn it back on, but Carrington breaks loose and runs out to try and talk to the thing face to face. It simply smacks him aside before continuing down the hallway, right into the trap. Henry flicks the switch, and the thing is blasted by electricity from all sides, frying it and reducing it to nothing more than a pile of dust. Henry tells Scotty he can finally get his picture, and he faints. With everything burned and the radio airwaves clearing up, everyone sits down for a coffee as Scotty calls into Anchorage and reports his story, opening it with a warning. Everyone, everywhere, should watch the skies. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies. And that is the end of the movie. Yeah, same. I was like very surprised. Um, I understand that it's just a little bit different to the... Uh, gosh, what's his name? Right. Um... Carpenter? Uh, Car- John Carpenter made The Thing. Yes, that's who I was fishing um, And that is a closer adaptation of the original story, which is called Who Goes There? By John W. Campbell. Okay, yes. So I understand his version is slightly tonally different to this one. Which will be a, a shame. Um, this version takes out the part of the thing, like, infecting people. Mm. Uh, except it kind of does. It just is not in the literal sense. Um, Carrington is obviously, like, enamored with it and wants to you know, help it grow and help it, you know... Try to understand it. Try to try to talk to it, understand it. Doesn't know that he will get anything out of that, but firmly believes that there is some new knowledge that this thing is willing to impart. Yeah, like, oh, this thing is, like, from a different planet. Surely there must be something to be gained. Yeah. I did find a very interesting write-up about this movie that mentioned how... The um, the troops are all extremely democratic, and like, um, there's the guy who's like in charge, but he's constantly asking other people what to do and like taking their ideas in and like considering them, and like the guy who suggests the trap is like his running bit throughout the movie is um, <coughs> he'll suggest something, and the Hendry will do it. And then he'll say, I think you're right, boss. <laughs> like, just congratulating himself. Um, meanwhile, with the scientist, uh, um, what is his name? Carrington? Carrington, yes. 
Carrington is extremely like authoritative with the other scientists, and they all follow what he wants to do, and no one else like questions him really until the very end. Yeah, well, sort of dissent breaks out in the ranks. And so this thing I was reading pointed out how like these things have been like swapped, and it was just kind of interesting to think about um, the scientists acting more like what we would expect soldier characters to act like versus the actual soldiers acting yeah. differently. And um, I suppose you could even look at that as like, well, just like fucking like military propaganda, or you could look at it more as a comparison, as like a class comparison. It's definitely uh, military propaganda, um, and it's also feeds into this sort of sentiment of science is bad. Um, but at the end the of the day, it's like engineering ingenuity that saves the day. Right, but it's simple engineering that, like, you know, your mechanic could do. It's like electrician stuff. It's not like science, right? Um, it's the fifties. People are scared of science, and like specifically of like n- new discoveries in scientific fields. You know, like nuclear energy and stuff. Like there's this distrust, and I think that shows up here. I also read, like, obviously there's a lot uh, about this movie being uh, about communism. Yeah, I did notice people talking about that. Yeah, I don't think it plays quite as well as the other versions of this story, because, like, the thing of... The thing could be anyone. It could be in anyone's head, and it could spread from person to person, um, like an idea... And, like, that's, you know, a little bit more compelling as a, an allegory than this, which is a monster and, you know, he's being helped by Carrington sort of cultivating a little cell of, um, of aliens, of things. But, um, yeah, uh. I don't know, like, I don't know how much I put into that reading of this version of the story. Uh, You could make the argument of, oh, it's a plant, and, like, plants are much more, much less centralized, like, in terms of, like, cells and stuff. Like, they talk about how, you you know, shooting it's not going to do any harm. Like, it doesn't have organs. It's sort of one big thing, right? Yeah. And in that way, this sort of way that, like, Carrington is willing to sacrifice all of their lives for some perceived greater good is, is does ring with this sort of very classic anti-communist, um, not even propaganda, just, like, talking point, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, with- I, I don't think that it plays very strongly in 2020, but I can see it, I can see it's there. Yeah, I mean, I guess we are much more used to people just being like, oh, fuck the communists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that kind of thing, I, mean, I do, do com- always have to wonder, like, how much of it is intent and how much of it just, oh, that maps very conveniently onto, like, a common fear? Uh, there's... I think there's a lot of documentation about it being about... Communism, and they even like mention the Russians in the. Uh, I do also not remember. I got cut off there because somebody had to come into our apartment to charge their phone, eat hot chip, and call his wife? Question mark? I don't know what was happening there. Um, But we're back, and I've completely lost my train of thought. But I assure you, it was a brilliant observation I was making. I think it was something about communism, probably. It was probably something about communism. This movie is kind of about communism. 
I mean, it isn't any less about communism now than it was then, I guess. It's just that, like, our lenses are different. Yeah. And what that means is different. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they do trap communism, I guess, in an electric trap of do blast it, go America. (laughs) Um, I also read on the same piece, um, they said... But this movie doesn't wave the flag or thump the Bible. Instead, it calls in the troops. And it's like... The troops are the flag. The troops are the flag and sometimes the Bible, too. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate, I guess. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, that... Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all I had for the thing from another world... Yep. It's movie a good funny. movie. It's, it's very charming. enjoyable. There's politics uh, here, nice I guess? Sh- huh? So there's politics here, I guess? There's politics. There's politics in everything. Very true. Um, it's just fun. It's a good one. It's uh, It's not a very tense movie. It's not a very intense movie. Despite, like, it being this sort of extraterrestrial thriller, it's not, like scary to my modern sensibilities and the you know the open the door and the monsters there is not as much of a jump scare as what a movie made more recently would have yeah Um, and so the whole thing just has this very warm and cozy vibe to it that's like easy to just sit down and watch it's like easy to just put on while you're making you know making some snacks and hanging out at uh like, 7 p.m., you know? It's really fun to see, like, horror and comedy being this well-blended so, like, early. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I guess there was a lot of movies being made back, even back then. Movie history is long, but... Yeah, and the the ones, you know, there's a certain element of, like, if you go back far enough, the ones that get preserved are the ones that people like the most, and the ones that are the best, are, like, agreed to be the best. Uh, I don't know that 51 is that far enough back to to have that observation, but, like, people have been making movies for a long time, and the people who are good at making movies are, like, really good at making movies. Yeah, and, like, you know, it's at least some important because there is that line we can follow, right? Like, back from, uh, back from, gosh, what's Halloween? Scream. Yeah, Scream from... to Halloween to here. Yeah, but like that heritage we can kind of follow and see what was yeah. important to who. And you can even see a couple of influences on Alien in this one, right? Like, them using the Geiger counter to track the alien is very much easy, yeah. like using the motion tracker to, to track the alien. Gosh. Right? And like, the, the thing being this super intelligent creature that doesn't really care about communication and really only wants to kill despite being like known to be intelligent is also very xenomorph yeah like it's just gonna get you doesn't really care about anything else yeah Um, it's gonna get you and it can i hadn't thought of that thing with the motion sensors yeah um but i suppose like many of the people in this movie i'd like you to fly me somewhere nora if we're done talking okay um, I was thinking of visiting... Where would you like to go? I was thinking of visiting the Funko Zone. The Funko Zone? Yeah. Well, we are greeted at Funko.com with Virtual Con starts tonight at 5pm PDT. The biggest virtual con of the year. I guess it's the San Diego Comic Con, but online. Uh, yeah, I guess this is where you can come look at pictures of all the new Funkos. Yeah. Um... Oh, wow, this is today. Yeah. Damn, what time is 5 p.m. PDD? That's Pacific, right? I don't know. I live in England. No. What is? What the fuck is PDT? Pacific Daylight Time. Okay, yeah. Ah, okay, that's hours and hours away, so unfortunately we cannot cover it's, the live reveal of these fuck posts. It's 5 p.m. PDT. It's now almost 3 central, which is 1 PDT, so we're still about 4 hours out. Yeah, I don't think we have four hours of podcasting on us. Oh, uh, hell no. I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I am, however, typing the thing from another world. 
into the search bar. No results found. First result given uh, is going to be your Funko for this week. It is, as you might expect, uh, where is Export Audio? Here we go. As you might expect, your Funko this week is Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek. Ah, um, I'm gonna pretend I know who this is and what Schitt's Creek is. Schitt's Creek sounds like a euphemism. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping it isn't. When you said Alexis Rose, I did think, isn't that a Ruby character? But I guess not. No, that's Ruby Rose. Ow, see, that makes more sense. Um, so, we have here a Funko of a lady in a dress. Pretty sure I have that dress. Um, or at least I have one very similar. The hat that this lady is wearing just sort of looks like uh, a pancake that has been like dropped on her head. Uh, is still feeling the effects of gravity, is about to collapse onto her head and just sort of sit there, I guess. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what the big pink thing is. Is that, a, is that supposed to be like a flower? Uh, it might be part of the hat. Maybe. Maybe a plume. Um, whatever it is, it does sort of look like she's also had a brain stuck to the back of her head. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe that's her brain. Maybe her brain is so big that it's leaking. Yeah, maybe it's kind of, maybe she's a zombie. The pose here she, does suggest zombie to me. She works out at the library. <laughs> um, I don't know how she finds time when she is constantly on her phone, though. That's true. Um, yeah, this is a very normal person Funko. <laughs> I don't know why you would, you know, indulge in the purchase of such a thing. It just looks like a person. I don't know if I watched this show, I would even recognize this person. It's kind of lackluster, unfortunately. And there is several more from this series linked at the bottom, and they all just look like people. It's worth mentioning that Alexis Rose from Shit's Creek is sold out. Mm, but not Johnny Rose or Moira Rose. You know, the family popularity does not really come through. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Rose looks like every Democratic nominee. <laughs> <laughs> and some Republicans. Um, but I must rate Alex's Rose and give my verdict. Um, and with everything considered, I think it's going to be a zero if one goes out of five. Mm. That's harsh, I know, but yeah, I feel like being harsh to that. You gotta do what you gotta do. Um, I could not help but notice when we were on the front page of the Funko that there is a Sanrio crossed uh, with My Hero Academia promotion going on. So if you like Samuel characters, now you can dress them up as fascists. Hell yeah. That's what everybody wants. I love that. I love to dress Hello Kitty like a cop. I mean, to be fair, they also did a Hello Kitty Gundam crossover recently, so... Right, but that's cool and I like it. Okay. <laughs> In... In what ways is the Earth Federation less fascist than any given character in My Hero Academia? Ah, uh, but the, the Earth Federation is fascist on purpose and we all know it. Oh, I see. Um, whereas I'm pretty sure My Hero Academia is fascist on account of it just being fascist. Mm -hmm. I know people come here for the deep media criticism and I'm happy to provide. Oh, they sell little plushes that are in bananas. Hmm. That is the least comprehensible sentence I've said in a while. Yeah? Oh, and all my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh friends are also here on sale. Um, I will purchase none of them. It's like that sometimes. You know, we all have to make sacrifices. Oh, now do you want to know a day-by-day -day breakdown of what Funko has planned at the Funko Virtual Con? What does Funko have planned at the Funko Virtual Con? I'm glad you asked, Nora. So on Sunday, July 19th, that's three days ago. So we're, we're kind of in the thick of the Funko Virtual Con. Uh, though they partnered with eBay for a special charity auction of rare items. There was Fright Night Freddy, apparently? 
There were some 10-inch prototypes, hello. Um, and they donated all of the proceeds to the NAACP. On Monday, there were some live time-lapse video sketches of Funko Sculpts. This is boring, I'm actually not interested in this. <laughs> I'm glad at least to know that they do 10-inch prototypes. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are $45. Mm. I don't know why you would do that. SDCC exclusives. Hmm. Uh, what are the exclusives? Does it say anywhere? Well, we got some Jack of the Box. Oh. We got, um... Yeah, I found the link. Um, wow, there's a lot of them. You... Mewtwo, some Sonic characters. Um, I guess there's so many of them. Oh my god, they're all at different retailers. Mm. Oh, this is horrifying. Oh, there's some Scott Pilgrim versus the World ones. There's a Critical Role Funko. Oh, Anchorman, that prescient media franchise you can buy harry potter a and a stupid hat line? there's not a critical role line there's just one critical role funko and it's vexalia can't say i know who that is i i forcibly expunge critical role knowledge from my brain uh that's laura bailey's character from the first show of critical role Can you imagine that there are people going from all of between all of these shops to buy all of these, right? What's that? Like all these these are all exclusives for different specific stores. There are definitely people going store to store to get them all, right? Yeah, that, absolutely. That's haunting to me. The Fortnite one's kinda nice. Oh well. I think we have exhausted the Funko Zone for today. Yep, I think so. Well, where can people find you, Nora? You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. You can find everything I do at norablake.online. Uh, and where can you? they go for more podcasts? Uh, you can find more podcasts at exportaud.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio where you can support the shows and give us money. And you can find me on Twitter at Wegazelle and find everything I do at Wegazelle.com. But unfortunately, that is all for the car hour this week. Send in your questions and join us next week as we watch Raw. But until then, good night. You know, we did get an email about this movie that I forgot oh, about. Oh, well, let's rewind then. I'm not editing that. I'm just leaving it. We're just going to do that right now. It's fine. You you can put on a funny rewinding noise. I'm not doing that, but it's a good idea. The listeners can imagine one. We got an email from Tron, asks a, a couple questions. Um, what's your favorite looking shot or scene? Hmm. Um, I think it's probably when they all like separate out onto the ice to do the big circle mm. and like figure out the mm -hmm. shape of the ship. It's a really good one. Just like the slow build um, to like realizing what they're doing and then everyone's excitement. Mm-hmm. When it clicks that, like, oh, they all knew what they were coming in. They all were, like, hoping this would be what was here. Even if, like, weird stuff hasn't come up up until that point in the movie. Mm -hmm. They talk about it being the Russians, maybe. Yeah, and then, like, the reveal that, oh, everyone, all the scientists came here hoping this would be a spaceship. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess for me, probably... It's probably that. I don't know. I think that's my answer, too. It's a good scene. 
uh, favorite character? Hmm. I it would either have to be Henry or Scotty. That's kind of a boring mm, answer. I guess yeah. they are both sort of as close as um, comes to like a main character, but mm-hmm. they're very fun. Scotty's a nice comic relief. Yeah, he's just like constant disappointment at being like pushed aside <laughs> by the narrative. Yeah. Uh, and him fainting at the end is very good. I think Henry is mine. Henry's also really fun. I I love how his like two little lieutenants are just constantly ribbing him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what did you think about Carrington's speech about knowledge being more important than life? Um well I remember Carrington getting punched in the face by an alien, so I guess he was wrong. <laughs> life is pretty important. Mm-hmm. It does play into that, what we were talking about earlier about Carrington being very utilitarian and seeing, like, only big picture stuff and thinking that, you know, we could further humanity by... Yeah, like, the cold logic thing gets applied to, like, the scientist figures a lot in movies. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... I guess, unfortunately for him, uh, the military was right, and the nature of the alien is m- merely to destroy. Yep. At least he doesn't get, like, reported in. There's, a, like, a brief aside in Scotty's report at the end that was, like, kind of fun, where he's just like, oh, Dr. Carrington bravely fell in the fighting. Um, he was originally supposed to die, but then they wrote that out. Ah. Um, That's kind of... Nice for Dr. Carrington, I guess. Uh, but the, I believe he was originally going to just be killed by the monster, and then they changed it. I don't remember what I read the reason for that was. but I guess maybe just like oh, also, people liked him. Uh, the actors who played Henry and Carrington, I believe, have done like cameos throughout other sci-fi b-movies throughout the years after this including a couple that were like basically the same role oh that's cute yeah i always like like little nods like that little pieces of lineage carrying down yeah now we can say goodnight yes if that's all we have for the movie i it's the fun cut wait we did that <laughs> yes, so that is all for the car this week. As before, you can send in your questions and join us next week as we watch Raw. But until then, good night. Good night. <laughs>